When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here's everything you might have missed in Rick and Morty Season 6, Episode 7. After what felt like a genuine eternity, Rick and Morty is back with a sequel to Season 4's Never Ricking Mort. It's a super meta episode full of reverence for the art of storytelling and plenty of details that you might have missed. We're going to break it all down for you in just a moment, but to do so we have to spoil what happens. So if you haven't seen the episode yet, well, that's on you, man. Get out of here! Oh, and we're back! Stop! Okay, let's get into it, shall we? After returning from hiatus, Rick and Morty came out swinging with full meta Jack Rick. It's a truly wild meditation on how fourth wall breaking and overly referential storytelling yields profoundly lazy end results. Or maybe, to quote Kevin Smith about the making of Clerks 3, we definitely make a movie within a movie and suck our own dicks and stare at our own navels. Hey, for what it's worth, I haven't seen Clerks 3, but I do appreciate a good self-aware statement. Much like Season 4's Never Ricking Morty, for which this episode functions as a direct sequel, Full Meta Jack Rick begins as what feels like a riff on interdimensional cable. There's a series of unrelated vignettes, but then it transforms into a more linear narrative about narrative itself. It starts with our heroes caught in a recap loop where we see events that never actually happened. Jerry apparently died from too many bee stings, referencing his Season 3 beekeeping hobby. One of the mourners is Summer's friend Trisha, who very subtly revealed that she had a thing for Jerry as well. Summer, I want to f*** your dad. Oh, really? You can also see Jerry's parents and their lover in the front row on the left. It culminates in Rick and Morty crashing through the opening credits of their own show and Morty asking the important questions that we all do. Best episode! my butter! It makes us wonder if any of the stranger scenes, like meeting Jack the Ripper or seeing Morty as a large pat of melting butter, will actually happen, or if they were an elaborate season-long con to set up this joke at the beginning of the episode. Cool! This happened too? What follows is the revelation that they were being preyed upon by previous Leon, a metasquito that glurps your future potential by rapidly hurtling you through your own hypothetical story until you are narratively spent and then you die. Back in Rick and Morty's real world, Rick reveals that he knows they're on a television show. He gives Morty a pair of goggles to see through the metatextual artifice of their own universe. It's the first barrage in a never-ending series of visual gags this episode. Morty sees a machine that is literally deus ex machina, Chekhov's guns are in a nearby cabinet, foreshadowing looms from the telescope looking to the stars, a literal ticking clock is on the wall, and there's a motorcycle to enhance the action and gratuitous violence for good measure. From there, the puns and sight gags only get more dad-worthy as Rick and Morty follow previous Leon into a metaversal realm beyond the fourth wall. Here, we're treated to our first of many jokes related to American writer and academic Joseph Campbell. Now, Campbell's best known for his seminal book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which breaks all stories down into an archetypal hero's journey, also known as the monomyth. When Morty mistakenly asks if Leon followed a road labeled Trials leading to a mountain, this references the concept of the Road of Trials from Campbell's Hero's Journey. Climbing a dangerous-looking mountain and braving the elements is a classic example of a trial a hero might have to overcome. It's even specifically referenced in Campbell's Road of Trials chapter in The Hero with a Thousand Faces. 
As Rick so aptly calls out, this is a bunch of groan-inducing wordplay for seven TV critics who won't even enjoy it. But fortunately, I'm the eighth critic, and I loved it. Seeing the word quest literally spelled out along the road they're following, the cliffhanger looming in the background, we also get word balloons flying through the air, books growing on trees, previously on hiding in the bushes that say weeds because the show is getting way too in the weeds with this particular storyline, it's fantastic. Now, despite being fully aware of the situation they're in, neither Rick nor Morty expect a callback to their own show. And that's why Leon pulling a page out of Rick's book hits like a ton of bricks. A ton of bricks with cum gutters. Pretty gross. That's what people call them. Gross people. This is more deus than deus ex machina, but summoning Jesus to save the day is exactly how Rick beat Storylord back in season four, except now he's using their own narrative tricks against them. I love a good refusal of the call. Hello. Rick. As for the refusal of the call, that's another aspect of Campbell's hero's journey. It's when the heroes refuse to go on their journey because of their own fears and insecurities. Kind of like when Frodo tries to give Gandalf the ring so he doesn't have to carry it all by his lonesome. The show then has a bit of fun with calling out lazy meta-references, saying that Story Lord is ripping off South Park by having Jesus beat the crap out of them. Rick says that's the good kind of meta that keeps them accountable, only to immediately hit us with another explicit meta-reference. Jesus breaks Rick's back like Bane does with Batman and the Dark Knight Rises and Batman 497. He baned me, Morty! Oh, Jesus baned me! In true hackneyed fashion, Story Lord is a lazy character because his only motivation is that he wants motivation. What? Ugh, that's dumb. So lazy! He doesn't know what his end goal is, and that's the problem with so many half-assed scripts out there. While Rick tries to get Jesus to walk into another trope, becoming their unlikely ally, Leon has another idea, trapping Christ in an endless narrative loop. Previously on Jesus Christ. Amid more iconic scenes from the Bible, we see Jesus try to make a deal with Napoleon, battle the Loch Ness Monster and Dracula, and become a billionaire to try and revive Mary Magdalene like a twisted version of Steve Jobs meets Mr. Freeze. Meanwhile, Story Lord tracks down the makers of the Story Train toy from which he sprang in Season 4's Never Ricking Morty. Once again, we see the hilariously bad URL for story-train.com, which sadly doesn't exist. We also learn the Citadel's toys weren't actually built at the Citadel of Rick's. Now, besides the fact the Citadel was basically destroyed by Evil Morty during his dramatic escape in the Season 5 finale, it's fitting because the planet that Story Lord is on is apparently called Airsats 9. Airsats means a cheap substitute, and this is definitely a cheap substitute for the Citadel that many fans might have expected. Uh, maybe it's cooler on the inside. Inside, we see Dan Harmon himself. I'm sorry, I mean Jan, who's clearly modeled after Rick and Morty co-creator Dan Harmon. Jan is the writer who was tasked with coming up with the narrative of the story train. While the Ricks of the Citadel wanted a riff on Canterbury Tales, here called Rickleberry Tales, none of them had actually read the book. So instead, they went with a riff on Batman the Animated Series poker-based anthology episode, Almost Got Him. The story train episode was basically a combination of Almost Got Him and Snowpiercer, so maybe that's the something it needed per Jan's angry rant. Now, there are a couple of other fun details in this scene as well. You can see Dan Harmon's vaunted story circle on the wall, and this is an eight-step process for structuring a story. It's basically a simplified version of Campbell's hero's journey, and it's the model from which Harmon and company construct almost all of their scripts. It was also jokingly alluded to back in Never Ricking Morty. There's also a poster on the wall reading distribution structure that includes the six-week-long hiatus this show just took. 
Eventually, Rick and Morty find their way to the headquarters of the self-referential Six, a cross between the Sinister Six and the Justice League. They all have immense story-altering abilities. There's Mislead, a parody of Emma Frost who has the power of misdirection. Flashback, a riff on The Flash who makes you remember the good old days. Connie Tenuity Error who reminds me of Speedball and his pretty self-explanatory powers. Protagonic, who looks like a cross between Banshee and Sprite and accidentally makes that nameless security guard the star of the show. During this aside to Marvin, we see him also fleeing jobs involving the Loch Ness Monster and the dog that ate Jerry's unemployment check at the end of season three's Rick Mancing the Stone. Last but not least, we meet Mr. Twist, who quite frankly reminds me a bit of Matthew Lesko. His big twist is that much like Spider-Man No Way Home, there are only five members of this sinister supergroup. That's the twist, Morty. It's you. What? Ignore him, Morty. The twist is there's no sixth member and he tells that to everybody. Now, eventually they smash cut to the not-so-aptly named Brett Kahn, who takes Morty's suggestion to heart. I mean, Brett's a name, too. His name could be Brett Kahn. It is, and always has been. This Dr. Manhattan-esque superhuman has the ability to retcon anything warping the fabric of reality itself. Part of Rick's offer is to free Rhett from his sports prison using the Butter Robot from way back in Season 1, Something Ricked This Way Comes. What is my purpose? You pass butter. Oh my god. After Retcon turned the prison into an orange, it seems like all hope is lost for our heroes. But fortunately, they're saved from death beyond the fourth wall by the one and only Joseph Campbell. You can see the thousand faces of the hero that line the wall of his humble abode, which is also decorated with references to quotes from Campbell's The Power of Myth. The burning book references Campbell saying how reading the right books by the right people can create in your mind a nice, mild, slow-burning rapture all the time. He wrote about the pyramid with the all-seeing eye as a symbol of good governance, and the picture of Claude Rains as the Invisible Man references Campbell talking about being helped by invisible hands along his path to following his bliss. But then I thought, stay in the moment, Joe, follow your bliss. In Campbell's house, you can also see a bottle of whiskey labeled Writer's Courage, not to be confused with the real brand Writer's Tears. It also foreshadows Campbell's alcoholic anti-Semitic rant, something he was accused of being in real life. Instead of moonlight, it's moonshine that turns this man into a total raging monster. On a more positive note, though, you can also spot a Game of Thrones parody labeled A Melody of Water and Ember. The show then pokes fun at one of its most repeated audience refrains, when Campbell tells Rick to do some classic adventures like in season one. Now maybe Rick should take Story Lord's approach to feedback here. Forward your notes to my ass. During the final battle with Story Lord, Morty breaks through to Jan by channeling the spirit of Joseph Campbell, while Rick gets grossed out once again by the concept of cum gutters. I don't like that phrase. I don't take notes. We also get a nice cynical callback to Rick's staunchly pro-consumerist attitude from never ricking Mort by murdering Story Lord using a poorly made Rick plush toy. While Rick claims to care about creativity, what he really loves is money. It's maybe a tongue-in-cheek projection of the show's creators themselves. Here, we see merchandising potential quite literally triumph over story. But unlike the story-train URL, rick-plush.biz is a real website. Unfortunately, they're unavailable in this reality, but considering the sheer quantity of Rick and Morty merch out there, it's only a matter of time. Merchandise, Morty. Your only purpose in life is to buy and consume merchandise, and you did it. Last but not least, the episode's end tag is also tongue-in-cheek with a kooky character named Tagman who wantonly kills a bunch of people while talking about the purpose he serves. It's part of Rick and Morty's proud tradition of introducing bonkers side characters during the show's post-credit tag sequences. 
Anyway, folks, there you have it. That's everything we spotted and wanted to break down further for you in the latest Rick and Morty. Depending on your capacity for dissecting the finer points of writing and story structure, your mileage may vary for episodes like this in Never Rick and Morty. But for my money, it was an absolute banger. Well, I am a master of both worlds, Morty. Anyway, we'll be back next week with another breakdown of Rick and Morty, but for now, tell us, what did you think of this episode? Did you spot anything that we missed? Forward your notes to my ass. Let us know in the comments below, and for the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, make sure you stay tuned to Nerdist.com.